0: الَّذِي وَسْوِسُ فِي النَّاسِ مِنَ الْجِنَّةِ وَالنَّاسِ So today, inshaAllah ta'ala, we'll be going through Surah an nas which is the final Surah of the Qur'an. And of course, it completes the series of Surah Ikhlas, Surah Falaq, and Surah Nas. The three Surahs that we're meant to recite. We did the math at one point. What was it? 27 What 28 times? What was it? How many times? Okay, for a mystery box, you guys tell me how much each surah we're meant to be reciting if we follow the actual sunnah. 24? 28 versus 24. Who wants to be the... Uh, okay, we'll have to do it and we'll decide inshallah. So 24 and 28. So we have three times when we get up in the morning, in the morning time. Then we have three times in the evening. So that's six. Then we have three times for each of the five salahs. So that's 15 times plus six is 21. Then we have three times before going to bed, so that's 24. So, 24 times we're meant to be saying these surahs. Uh, And of course, there are many virtues that we mentioned last class when we went through Surah Falaq. Because the virtues that mentioned Surah Falaq also included Surah Nas. So you guys tell me and remind me, some of the virtues and the blessings and rewards of reciting these surahs. Very good. Very good. It's a form of ruqiyah and physical cure for ruqya, meaning that physical illnesses and spiritual illnesses, this is actually a sunnah, and it is something that is authentically narrated from the Prophet ﷺ. When he would be affected with a physical ailment, he would actually recite these surahs, surah iqlas, sorry, surah falq, surah surah nas, and he would recite them three times, surah iqlas, falq, nas, and he would uh, blow into his hands and get the hands to go and reach all of his body. And so this is something for us to do, inshallah ta'ala, to add to our regimen when we get sick. Uh, very good. Okay, yes. Excellent. Yes, you will not find any surah like it in the Quran. The Prophet ﷺ said, to which companion? Uqba ibn Amr. Very good. Excellent. Uqba ibn Amr. Remember Uqba ibn Amr, guys. He was the one that narrated most of the virtues of Surah Farakh and Surah Nas for us. Very good. Anything else? Yes. Treatment of black magic and sihr. Very good. Now, if you remember, we won't go that much into detail because we have to get into Surah Nas, but there was a point. What was the story? Where did you get this from? Where did you derive this from about the black magic? Uh, so there was the story where the Prophet ﷺ was affected by black magic. Remember this? What was the name of the person that cast the spell on the Prophet ﷺ? Yes? Le- yes, Labid ibn As not al Asam, very good, excellent. This was the story where Labid uh, uh, I- uh, ibn Asam, he essentially cast a spell on the Prophet ﷺ. In Bukhari, there's no mention of Surah Falaq al-Nas, but in other narrations from the books of Tafsir, we find that he instructed the companions when they found the spell object that was in the buried, where was it buried? in the bottom of the well. And they found it and they removed each knot. And as they removed each knot, they were reciting these two surahs, Surah Falaq and Surah Nas. And so then we understand that this is part and one of the ways that a person can dispel or reverse the spell of uh, black magic. Very good. I think that pretty much covered most of the points. So very good, guys. Excellent. All right. So now we get into Surah Tunnas. nas Now, Surah Al-Nas, um, to contrast it with Surah Falaq, Surah Falaq, we sought refuge in particular evils. Particular evils. It was mentioned, shari uh, women hasad, right? Very particular things. The evil of what Allah's create of what has been what He has created, the evil of the night when it becomes still, the evil of the one who blows, the black magic, the evil of the jealous person, specific evils are being mentioned, and we are. Taking protection in Allah from that. Now Surah Nas doesn't mention specific evils. It only mentions one evil. And what is the evil in Surah Nas that we are seeking refuge from? It is the waswas from the khannas as we're going to come to. The waswas from the khannas That is the one evil that is mentioned. And if you look at the contrast, it's interesting. Because in Surah Nas, the focus is on the descriptions of Allah. الناس, الناس, الناس. In, and so there's multiple descriptions and names of Allah that are mentioned. In Surah Falaq, only one name of Allah is mentioned. الفلاق, and that's it. And so in Surah Falaq, one name of Allah, many evils. And in Surah Nas, many names of Allah, only one evil. And this is beautiful because it contrasts our views of evil as well. That we understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sufficient. To deal with any evil that you can think of, so it's sufficient to just call upon one name of Allah, and all the evils can be neutralized. And at the same time, it's the idea that don't let the evil and harm that you see in the world make you think that it has any sense of challenge to the divine power. Surah An-Nas shows that Rabbin Nas, Malikin Nas, Nas, that the divine goodness and the divine will and the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is something that is far more in this world, is far more in this world. The goodness that comes from Allah is far more in this world than the evil that he permits for the sake of other goodness. So you see this beautiful contrast. Another contrast between Surah Falaq and Surah Nas is Surah Falaq is dealing with external evil, external evil. Min ma khalaq, the evil of what has been created out there and then uh, 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 the blowing into the knots. This is outside of the world. And then hasad the jealous person when he commits his jealousy. And so as we can see here, all of the evils are the outside world, external threats. When it comes to Surah Nas, the evil is, where is the evil in Surah Nas? Inside, internal, the whispering. And so we understand the contrast between the external evil and the internal evil. And in this beautiful contrast is a lesson for us. Because we understand that the fundamental of evil that exists in the world, it comes from the waswas of the khannas. It comes from the waswas of the khannas. That all the evil that comes starts off as whispers and thoughts inside of us. Everything has to start internally. Then only it becomes the external. And so we can... Reduce the evil that we can see to this one fundamental evil this one fundamental problem that can manifest in various different types of evil and So this is the contrast between surah Falaq and surah Nas Um, now Into the surah the surah itself as we know um, is called Surah Nas mankind now Nas is a very interesting uh, word that's used to describe, or insan is a very interesting word that's used to describe human beings. A lot of people say that the linguistic derivation that it shares is with nisyan, which means forgetfulness. That insan is, by its na- his nature or her nature, forgetful. And they need reminders, which is why Allah calls the Qur'an a dhikr, to remind the human being of why they're here. Because human beings are, although they have such incredible capacity to learn, to know, to store information, we are constantly forgetting. We are constantly neglecting. And we are constantly forgetting, particularly, not just mundane things, which we do that as well, why we're here. We're so easily distracted. We can come to a talk and feel really motivated that we're going to be focused on the hereafter, that we're going to be focused on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then we leave the talk and all that feeling kind of goes away. Which is fine, by the way, I'm not saying that we have to be at the highest level of spirituality at all times. The Prophet ﷺ said, a time for this and a time for that. It's merely, I'm merely describing the state of human beings. That we fluctuate constantly, our mood, our emotions, our thoughts, our ideas, our ambitions, our mood states, what we think we want to do, our purpose and the salience of that purpose in the forefront of our consciousness. All of this is constantly changing and is in flux. So insan is nisyan. And so we need a dhikr, a reminder to remind us. To constantly remind us why we are here. To keep us on the straight and narrow path. Now, Ibn al-Qayyim actually argues that nisyan is not the main shared uh, linguistic uh, derivation of insan. Rather, he argues it's another word. And it comes and shares a root with al-uns. Al-uns. You can see the similarity in the phonetics. Al-Uns, insan. What is Al-Uns? Al-Uns, interestingly, is the human being is essentially intimacy, belonging, love, companionship, a person who is seeking out for companionship and love and intimacy and connection. That's what uns is. And uns Billah is finding that with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Which is really interesting because human beings are social creatures, aren't we? And human beings, you can say, are put on this earth and they have a compass in their heart to seek out companionship, to seek out love, to seek out the ultimate source of love. And that magnet or that compass points that person towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so... Ibn al-Qayyim actually argues this quite vehemently and delivers many different arguments to say, no, the stronger position linguistically is that insan shares more with uns, and he says it also matches as well, insan and the psychology of insan, which is that human beings are constantly looking for connection, looking to be connected with things. Subhanallah, if you look at the number one risk factor for all-cause mortality, which means any cause of mortality, it could be uh, murder, it could be suicide, it could be heart disease, it could be um, whatever it may be, that co- cancer, whatever it may be that caused someone to die. What's the number one risk factor that will make all these causes more likely? So, very good. It was a rhetorical question, but mashallah, you guys got it. Alhamdulillah. Very good. I was trying to set it up, but you guys just totally, that's all right. Alhamdulillah. Um, what I was saying was that Many people, obviously not you guys mashallah because you switched on, many people would think it'd be something like smoking or obesity or like you know, uh, inactivity or or sedentary lifestyle. It's actually not any of these. Loneliness. Loneliness is the number one highest risk factor for all cause mortality. That is very profound. And it kind of reframes what you understand to be you as a person and what you actually need. And we can sometimes be macho say, I don't need anyone and I don't need this connection. And we're living in a time where we are very disconnected. We are living in a time where we are very disconnected from each other. Even though we have the most means of connection, paradoxically, we are the most disconnected. Similarly as well, we have the most access to information we are the most ignorant as well. If you look at the ulama in our times and the du'at and the students of knowledge of our times and the amount of knowledge they have access to at their fingertips with just the click of a button and you compare it to the knowledge of people who lived centuries before who did not have, you know, shamila and waqfiya and all these things to be able to download any book that you want. Any book you want, you can get it like that. Sunnah.com, Quran.com, all these things, right? You have all the six books of hadith at your fingertips. Even when I was growing up, that was something that was very difficult to have. To go to someone's house that actually had the six books of hadith in an English translation, that was unheard of. And subhanallah, now we have so much access to this. But we don't take advantage. And this is the thing sometimes, we take things for granted when it's so simple and easy. Oh yeah, yeah. I can call anybody whenever I can. So you don't do it. Oh yeah, yeah, I can, you know, whenever I want, I can read this book and it's there. Access makes things difficult for people to follow through actually. The more easy something is, paradoxically, the less we actually end up doing it. And on the flip side, the more hard something is for the person who's driven, they're invested. They put in the time, they'll get it done. A person who's told, I want you to go and go home and I want you to start a project where you read through all of Sahih Bukhari in two years. You just go on your phone, you have it all there, sunnah.com, just read it through. I guarantee you, 9 out of 10 people will never finish. But if I tell a person, I want you to go to the desert in North Africa, or I want you to go to another place, in the Middle East, or go somewhere else in Australia, go to Uluru or something. And I want you to be there and just tent in the desert and your task is just to read Sahih Bukhari. That person will finish Sahih Bukhari. Because he's invested. He's put in time and effort. And he's like, if I don't finish this, this is all for nothing. But because things are so easy for us, it's not there. Even meeting up with people, it's so easy, so we take it very cheap. And when we meet up with people, we might not be fully there. If we call people or WhatsApp people, oh, I can already speak to them. There's no need to kind of actually want to genuinely have a good bonding experience, to actually plan something that might be a bit different. Anyways, this is something that's important for us to understand, going back to the point about loneliness. And ultimately, fundamentally, we should find our connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And from that connection, we have then love that we can draw from that relationship to give to other people and to receive from other people as well. That's the idea when it comes to insan. So, this is Surah Nas. And so, this surah is all about what it means to be human, in a sense. And what it means to be human, and you might think, wow, what a negative surah. What it means to be human, it's all about like the waswas, the khannas, and the evil, and the jinn, and the shayateen. But I think fundamentally, What it means to be human is to be vulnerable. And that's what the Surah is getting at here. That Surah Nas is all about the vulnerabilities of the human being. And a vulnerability of a place that we cannot even see. Forget about external vulnerabilities. Without vulnerabilities, we're not human beings. We're angels. If we have no vulnerabilities, then that's the creation of the angels. Without the ability to find protection and strength with Allah, then we become just like the shayateen. Because those vulnerabilities lead us to commit evil. And if we don't overcome our desires and these vulnerabilities, then we're just like the animals. So how we choose to deal with us as vulnerable creatures dictates whether you're a human being, whether you're an animal, or whether you're a shaitan. It's all our response to this fact that is very can be clear at some times and not clear at other times. Certain experiences can really slap it right in your face, your own vulnerability, your own mortality, your own weakness. It can really be something that it becomes very obvious. How you choose to overcome that will determine who you really are. Are you a human being? Are you a human being? So Suratanas. so those are just some things to settle on to think about inshallah ta'ala, about human beings. The second thing I want us to think about in this surah from a thematic point of view is evil itself. We spoke about that last week, but I want to focus a few things that I didn't get to uh, in this surah, or in in this week. Evil is an interesting uh, perception, because that's what I'll call it, a perception. Theologically, we do not believe that pure evil exists. Because theologically, we believe everything that happens is by the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everything. And بيديه الْخَيْرِ, بيديه الخير كله. والشر ليس إليك. That to Allah, between His hands is all good. And evil cannot be attributed to Allah. إِنَّ اللَّهَ طَيِّبُ وَلَا إِلَّا طيب. Allah is pure and good, and He will not accept anything that is pure and good. And so everything that happens is actually good. Now, there's two categories of good. Either it's pure good, or it's good. And there was something that can be relatively perceived as evil from an individual perspective. But overall, from the perspective of Allah and the universe and creation, it was good. For instance, the existence of sin. From the perspective of us, that's evil. But from the perspective of the grand scale of the universe, it's good. Why? Because without sin, there's no asking Allah for forgiveness. The whole concept and pursuit of tawbah becomes obsolete if nobody sins. And that's the meaning of the hadith where the Prophet wasallam said, that Allah said, if you were to become people who did not sin, then I would replace you with people who did sin so they could ask forgiveness of me. So the process of tawbah and istighfar, that good, that lofty good of a human being recognizing their sins, going on the road to redemption, and becoming a better person, that goodness there, the story of that goodness, it justifies the existence of sin. And so they come together as a package deal. It's the full story. We have to look at them as stories. We have to look at them as the full stories. Everything we perceive as evil is just the beginning of a story. And it's the beginning of a story that will end good. In general. Now for an individual person, it might be a tragedy for that person. Like if you look at any story, any story that has a good ending, there are people and characters there that don't have the good endings. But overall, it was a good story for the people who did the right thing. And so, evil is the beginning of the story that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses to create from that evil. يُخْرِجُ مِنَ الْمَيِّتِ الْمَيِّتِ مِنَ الْحَيِّ Allah brings life from death and death from life. That's an interesting point. And you can say the same thing. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the dead earth that looks totally destroyed. That rain comes down and it brings life. Same thing. Something that a person perceives to be evil. Allah brings out and draws out the potential for good within it. So every occurrence that happens, yes, from an, indi- from an individual relative point of view, we experience that harm and evil, but it grows into something that overall becomes good. Overall becomes good. Even the existence of Shaytan, Ibn al-Qayyim in Ighat al and other scholars as well before him, they elucidated, uh, sorry, they enumerated the various wisdoms behind the creation of shaitan himself and the creation of shaitan. Why is the shaitan created in this way? And of them is the reality of isti'adha. Isti'adha, that feeling and connection to Allah through isti'adha is only there because of the shaitan. The struggling against the shaitan as an enemy and the strength that a person needs to overcome and wanting to come closer to Allah, that is there. The fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that comes because of the whispers of the shaytan. The repelling of the shaytan from the nafs. The growth of the nafs. There's so many things that is listed. There's I think over 20 particular wisdoms that are listed by Ibn Qayyim for the existence of the shaytan. So evil has its wisdom. And it's the beginning and it cannot be looked at in isolation. It has to be looked at from the grand narrative or the grand point of view. Now, evil is also interestingly, you know, subhanAllah, there was a, a convert that I uh, knew in Winnipeg, in Canada, sorry. <laughs> you probably don't know what Winnipeg is. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a city like in Canada. Um, it's not a small town. It's like a smallish town. Uh, there was a convert there who accepted Islam. His reasoning was very interesting. He said that I was an atheist. He said he was an atheist. But then he witnessed... He thought to himself, I know evil exists because I see evil in front of me. I know that evil exists. I've seen it. I feel it within me, an impulse, and I see it, you know, uh, perpetrated. And he said, well, if there's evil, then there has to be good. Because evil can't exist unless there is something called good on the other side. Otherwise, it's just existence. There are certain things that can only exist if its opposite also exists as well. Like, it doesn't make sense to say darkness if there was no such thing as light. Because that would just be what we know of the world. It would just be dark. There would be no such thing as light even if there's no darkness. Because that would just be the way things are. So certain things, if they exist, the opposite has to exist as well. And so he said, subhanAllah, this, is, this evil exists, therefore, good must exist as well. Uh, and so what's interesting is this idea that evil is something that is unique to human beings, not to animals. Because, I mean, animals do, I mean, you can say horrific things, but they're just acting in their kind of self-interest, you can say, which you can say is bad. But when I talk about evil, I'm talking about a level of evil that is sadistic, that is cruel, that is unnecessarily aggressive, that's beyond your own personal needs, but a person deriving pleasure from seeing the pain of other people. That level of evil is for the human beings. And that's something that cannot be explained, you know, biologically through evolutionary means or anything like this. That's something metaphysical. That's something that's a demonic force in this world. And the existence of that is very clear. People witness it, we understand it, and we see it. And this is one of the things, the, the ulama, they classify the levels of evil that a human being commits. So either a person commits a sin, they call the sin from the bihamiya, the animalistic, sins, the animalistic sins, the bahima, like bahimatul an'am, the animals, bahimatul an'am. Anyways, they are the sins from the bahimiyah, bahimiyah of the uh, human being, and the bahimiyah sins are ones that are committed purely out of desire, like lusts, and eating, and drinking, and zina, and alcohol, and drugs, and these sorts of things. This is from the sins of the um, همية, the, 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 uh, the animalistic sins. Then there's another grade, and that is the sins of the sabiyya. The sabiyya are like the uh, you can say predator like sins. So these are people like the lions and the uh, and the tigers and these sorts of things. So it's not just like the cattle or the sheep who are just eating and drinking. These are people who are essentially aggressive, they are aggressively looking for their own self-interests. The lion isn't interested in the pain of the other person, he just wants to eat. And so these sins are the ones where people take advantage of other people, they manipulate other people for their own self-gain. And they will be aggressive towards other people to get what they want. This is the sin, the next level of the Sib'iyya. Then there is the sins that are the Shaitaniya, the satanic sins. This is where It's not about self-interest. A person simply derives pleasure from inflicting pain and harm on other people. They just want to misguide other people. That is the shaitanic level of sin. And human beings can go from the uh, Bahimiya all the way up to the shaitaniya in terms of the uh, sins. So this is the Islamic conception of evil and the Islamic conception of sins. Now, the surah starts with qul, of course, say, and we're meant to say it in the ways that we're meant to say it. A'udhu, and this is from the isti'adah. And we spoke about the isti'adha last week as well. isti'adha is seeking protection from Allah Subhan- in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, one of the beautiful things Ibn al-Qayyim mentions is that when we're taking protection in something, it's obviously in something that can harm us. That's why we're taking protection in it. We're trying to protect ourselves from something that will bring us harm. Now. Ibn al-Qayyim says that in the Qur'an and in the Sunnah, we take protection from various different things that are sources of harm for us. The Shaytan, sources of harm for us. The Waswas of the Khana, sources of harm for us. The Hasid, sources of harm for us, right? But there's a very interesting dua in the Sunnah that reaches the highest level of Tawheed. And that is an interesting reality where you are taking protection in Allah from Allah. From Allah. What does that mean? You're taking protection from Allah. Allah uh, the Prophet ﷺ used to make this du'a in sajda in tahajjud. Allahumma inni'udhu bi ridhaka min sakhatik wa bi bimu'afataka min uqubatik wa bika minka la ahsithana ana Anta antaka mahtnayta ala nafsik O Allah, I take protection in your ridha, in your pleasure, from your wrath. So here, who is the one that we're taking protection in? It's Allah. But what are we taking protection from? Allah. I take protection in your pleasure from your wrath, in your pardon, from your punishment. And then the most general, Wabika Binka. I take protection in you from you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran and Surah Ali Imran a very Interesting phrase. A very powerful phrase. Allah warns you about Himself. Now what is this? Ibn Qayyim explains that who has the power to... Who has the one is the true power to benefit us? Who can benefit us? Who's the only one that can benefit us? Come on guys, this is like... <laughs> Allah, very good. Excellent. Alhamdulillah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, do we not get benefit from other things as well? We get benefit from our parents, right? From friends, from all these things. We understand that these are the means. But Allah is the one who created that. And Allah is the one that sent it in that way. So ultimately it goes back to Allah. And if Allah did not will, you wouldn't receive any benefit from any of the assets that you have in front of you. Now, harm. Who has the power to harm you? Who is the only one that can harm you? Allah is the only one that can harm you. Now, yes, there are means to harm as well. A rabid dog, a lion, a tiger. A, I don't know why I keep saying lion and tiger, like we have lion and tigers running around here or anything like that. But, you know, we can be harmed by a brown snake, uh, you know, a spider, a small little tiny uh, you know, poisonous spider, whatever it may be, uh, disease coronavirus, influenza, all these small little viruses, they harm us, right? But of course we understand that the actual power to harm only comes from Allah and only with Allah's permission. And these are the means that Allah sends in this world for that harm. And so that's the point. A person who realizes their isti'ada is actually in Allah, from Allah. Because only Allah is the one that can harm you and this is such a beautiful phrase why it makes a person fearless in this dunya they've sidestepped all the other things that they think is the source of their harm no that thing is not gonna harm me only if Allah wills it to harm me then it will so I take protection in Allah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is the point now that doesn't mean that we don't take protection in Allah from the Shaytan Allah tells us to do that as well but we have to ultimately remember that These are the means of harm, but it is only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that can truly harm us. So it's a very beautiful point Ibn al-Qayyim mentions in Ighat al-Lahfan. By the way, Ibn al-Qayyim has his book, it's about 700 pages, just on the plots of the Shaytan. And in it, he mentions an interesting point where he says that most people write about the diseases of the nafs, the diseases of the heart, and us to purify the heart. But he says, look in the Qur'an, the emphasis is not the nafs and the heart, the emphasis is Protection from the shaitan. And so he says that, and in his book as well, he has a very small portion about the nafs, and the most of it after that is the shaitan. He says that is mirroring the Qur'anic emphasis as well. That when we talk about things and impulses that come to us, the shaitan is the one that we should be most concerned with. Now, the last point I'll mention um, about this sa'adah. No, we'll move on from now, inshallah. So, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بربل, uh, بِرَبِّ الْنَاسِ So, Rub, we defined it last class. Can someone tell me the meanings of Rab? Yes. That was not one of the ones we actually mentioned. It, it will fall under his Rububiya, but yes, very good. The Sayyid. The Sayyid, the Malik, and the Musleh. Excellent. So a Rub includes master, Musleh, which is Sayyid. Musleh, the one who showers blessings upon something, Malik, the owner. So قُلْ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ The Rabb of Nas The master, the owner of, na, of humankind, of all of mankind الناس, الناس. Then the next one is Malik The king of humanity Then the third one is Ilah The god of humanity you can say Now interestingly uh, The ulama, they mention an interesting uh, uh, You can say progression here So it goes from kind of... So rub. you know, in Arabic, you can actually use the, you know, uh, the Rabbul, uh, you can say Rabbul Ard, or like the owner of this, the landlord, you can say. Or the Rabbul Bayt, or Rabbul mal, like the owner of this wealth, or the owner of this. So it can be used for humans as well, actually. So Rabb is something that... Uh, and also, a Rabb can be an owner of something, but not necessarily the king of something. And so the next one is king. But the king, again, can be... The king, but he cannot be God, maybe not. And so then ilah has mentioned after. So there's this progression of more powerful and more powerful. The other thing that's interesting is that it's, if you look at human beings, it goes from general to specific. So when you look at the human being, the Rabbun Nas is everyone. Muslim or non-Muslim, Allah is their Rabb. Allah is the one who creates them, sustains them, nourishes them, nourishes them. Whether they like it or not, Allah is the Rabb. Yes? The second is, the king. Not everyone makes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala their king in this world. Although Allah is the king, no one needs to make Allah anything, but in this world, not everyone does. Only the people who abide by the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are seeing Allah as the king. And so the king is more exclusive. Malik nas But even here, you can be a Muslim or you can be a hypocrite. You're still following the commands. The only one that's truly a believer is Ilahin Nas. These are the true seekers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who can clearly claim La ilaha illallah. And so there's this interesting progression of both ways from the categories and the descriptions of Allah and from the descriptions and categories of human beings. Um, now, we see here the repetition of mankind. <whipli> nas, malikin nas, nas. Um, and by the way, uh, on king, you know, sometimes when we talk about king, um, it has a bit of a negative connotation to it, right? Like some tyrannical king or these sorts of things. We have to understand, of course, when it comes to Allah, none of the negative attributes are there. The attributes of king are things like power, عزة, and qudra and control, encompassing knowledge, expansive wisdom, the archetype of the wise king, for instance, right? Kings don't necessarily have to have a negative connotation. In our times, it does for many different reasons. But, the idea is that when you have a good king in the human realm, that king is responsible for your welfare completely and solely. There's no government, there's no ministries and all this stuff, although he sets it up. Fundamentally, it goes back to the king and the royal family. And that's why they're treated like that, because they are fundamentally responsible for everything in their kingdom. And so it's likewise, when Allah is our king, it's a positive thing, that we depend on Allah. Allah is looking after us. Allah, We are in the kingdom of Allah, That's a sense of protection. When you're in someone's kingdom, the king is responsible to protect it, right? So you're in the kingdom of Allah, Allah is the one that is protecting you. Now, going back to this point, repetition of mankind. Why is mankind mentioned multiple times here? Um, uh, Mulana Shafi Osmani, who wrote the uh, tafsir Ma'arif al-Qur'an, contemporary tafsir, he actually uh, mentions an interesting point. He says, the first nas is the Referring to nas in the context of children. Why? Because rab is mentioned and rab is nurturing, tarbiyah. So the first nas is human beings as children. Then the second one is youth, where they need to be honed in, they're part of the kingdom, they need to be given rules, they need to fall in order, and these sorts of things. Then the third is old age, where a person is focused on meeting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the fourth mention is referring to the righteous servants of Allah. And the fifth one is the evildoers. We're going to come to. And Nas is mentioned a few other times. Now, um, Ar-Razi says this is a way of showing nobility and honoring the human being. That the last surah in the Quran, Allah chooses to say Nas three times, to indicate the lofty status of the human being, uh, and associating the human being with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala three separate times, which is an of of tashrif an attribution of nobility. That Allah is saying that these creations are my creations, Rabbun Nas, Malikin Ilahin Nas. That Allah is associating the name of His with the human beings as a way of elevating and honoring the human being. Now, Malikin Nas, Ilahin min from the evil of the retreating whisperer. That is what khannas is. Khannas, by the way, is a very general term. It doesn't mean shaitan. Min shar, so min from shar evil. Min shar waswas. Waswas is the whispering. Min waswasil khannas. From the khanas. The khanas is the one who basically khanasa is to sneak and to recede and to withdraw. And so khanas is the one who does that often. Back and forth, back and forth, coming to you, going back, coming to you, going back. So the retreating whisperer is to describe waswas al khannas, um, and subhanallah. This is describes, of course, the shaitan. This describes, of course, the impulses of the shaitan. That the shaitan will come and then he will leave. He will come and whisper, and once you do the action, then he will be gone, and you're just left with the guilt. This is the aspect of khannas, the retreating whisperer, that an idea will come to do evil, but then all of a sudden that person, will, that thought will go away. So it comes and goes, and it comes and goes. And when you finally do it, then all that whispering is gone, and you're just left with the guilt. Excuse me. And so, it doesn't necessarily have to just be from the shaitan. It could be from our own self as well. It could be from other people as well. That they'll come, and they're there with you, when you're, they're doing what you want, when you're doing what they want you to do. Or you're in a bad crowd or whatnot, and when you're with them, then they're all good. And when you start to have trouble or start to have issues and difficulties, then they all run away from you. This is also a form of khannas. Now, then Allah SWT says um, after uh, the, the swastik khannas, the one that which this whispering is done in the sudur nas, in the chest of mankind. And so, They don't have access directly necessarily right to the heart, but to the chest of mankind. This is where the whispering is. Ibn al-Jawzi, rahimahullah, he has a very interesting analogy that he actually gives for the heart. Ibn al-Jawzi says that the heart and around it is like a fortress. And there are gates and there are windows. And the shaitan flows through the veins of the son of Adam until it gets to the heart and it sees the fortress. And it searches for where the human being is heedless, where the human being is lustful, what the particular fantasies and cravings of this heart is. And he sees it, and he enters through that door. And so the shaitan actually is not going to give you random suggestions. The shaitan's suggestions to you are tailored to your fantasies, to your cravings, to your personality, to your appetites. And so the shaitan can have access to know what you are vulnerable with in terms of your desires. And when a person is heedless, then the shaitan is able to enter from those gates and is then able to whisper and induce those impulses and stir up those desires. Now, when you look into the Qur'an, there are very interesting terms that are used to describe how the shaitan interacts with us. One of the terms is the wa'ad of shaitan. The wa'ad of shaitan and the promise of shaitan, and that's what a wa'ad is, the promise, the promises of shaitan are nothing but deception. So what is the promise of shaitan? Allah promises, sorry, shaitan will promise you things. When he comes to your heart, he will induce a thought or it, obviously you're not having you're not hearing a promise from the shaitan. What does it mean? When someone promises you something, they're promising something in the future, right? that I promise this will happen or I will do this for you, right? Or this will happen to you. I promise this will happen if you do this. And so what are the promises of the shaitan? Poverty. الْفَقْرِ He promises you poverty. So the thoughts in your head, when you think, oh, I don't know if I want to give sadaqa, or I don't know if I want to spend time doing ilm, or being involved with the, the community because I have to make this much money, This sort of thing, because if I don't do that, I'm going to be poor, I'm going to be on the street, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Those thoughts in your head, that fear of poverty, that's the promise of shaitan. That's that's one of the promises of Shaitan. Another promise of Shaitan in Surah Yusuf. The brothers of Yusuf said, let's kill him. That was the initial plan, by the way. And then after, we'll become righteous people. This is a classic promise of the Shaitan. Just do the sin. Then after that, you can become good, make tawbah and everything like this. The promise of life and tawfiq. He's promising you tawfiq as if he can give you that promise, that you'll be able to turn to Allah and become a good person after. Whose guarantee is that? That after you commit the sin, that you will have the tawfiq to turn back to Allah. That your heart will not become numb and full of rust and iron that you cannot connect with Allah anymore. That you stand in front of Allah and you feel nothing. That you're trying to have the tears to come for tawbah, but they're not coming through. Because the heart has become hard because of your transgression and because you tried to play games with the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the promise of the shaitan, and his ghurur is deception. These are the things that, uh, that shaitan uh, promises. And um, he promises, of course, long life. That, oh, if you do this, then, you know, you can make it up later. You can do tawbah much later in your life. So the promises of the shaitan. So this is one type of satanic waswas, promises. Another one, of course, is arousal. Arousal. يَعِدُهُمْ وَيُمَنِّيهِمْ Promises? وَيُمَنِّيهِمْ يُمَنِّيهِمْ is from like tamanna, or like uh, amani, which is like wishful, fantasy, that sort of thing. Like arousal, essentially. Arousing desires, essentially, is the idea of uh, uh, this, this concept of tamanni. And so this uh, tamanni of shaitan, he arouses the desires that I mentioned here, particularly the desires that that person craves and will come to you and rage these desires in a person's heart. They could be desires of a sexual nature, they could be desires of aggression, where the shaitan knows how to push the person's button, a person says something to you, a person cuts you off on the road, a person says something, you see someone, then the shaitan knows what to whisper, how to arouse your anger, how to arouse your anger until you're a fit of rage, and then you do something that you regret. This is the arousal of the shaitan, as he induces these, negative emotional states within us, arouses doubt, arouses suspicion towards other people. All these negative states. Uh, and then of course we have as well, from the other strategies of the shaitan, is he will make evil look attractive to a person. That the person will perceive something wrong, and he'll make it look good. Allah says this constantly in the Quran, that their evil deeds were made to look and appear beautiful. And actually shaitan says himself, He blames Allah. He says, Oh my Lord, because you because you misguided me, I will I will make the earth so beautiful for them. Obviously the evil things in the earth, so beautiful for them. I will misguide them all. And one of the ways that he makes, there are many ways he makes evil attracted to us. One of the interesting ways is rebranding evil. He did this with Adam, right? With Adam, when it came to the tree that was forbidden, he called it shajaratul khuld. He said that, it's in the Quran. Oh, Allah didn't forbid you from the shajaratul khuld, the tree of eternity. Like such a beautiful term for it, right? Except that out, you know, except that you were going to become basically like two angels or have this vast kingdom. And so he rebrands it, he changes the names. He changes the names. And so, you know, subhanAllah, we see this in our times as well. Indecency and fahsha, it's called art. Wearing lewd kind of dresses and these sorts of things for women and for men, that's empowerment. Right? You see how? The rebranding of evil, calling it something completely different. The complete unrestricted, you know, access to sexual desires, that's liberation. Do you see the, the wordplay here? It's the rebranding. And where is this coming from? Of course, from the impulses of the shaitan. You know, subhanAllah, we don't realize how much of society is manufactured by the whisperings of the shaitan. Where do you think these people are getting their ideas from? Who do you think is there in their meetings? You know, we saw in the Quraysh, we know this, that the shaitan was present there as they were discussing the, the plot to kill the Prophet Wasallam. He was physically present there. Is that just limited to the time of the Prophet No. It doesn't have to be necessarily physically present. Who do you think is there whispering in everyone's mind over there? In these meetings in Hollywood and in, you know, these high-level media stuff and these, you know, uh, big corporations or whatever it may be that try to uh, uh, continue to push very evil agendas, very non-Abrahamic agendas, uh, things and ideas and values that are so contrary Ironically and paradoxically to the founding of the Western civilization itself. which is a Judeo-Christian, uh, uh, Judeo-Christian tradition. That every single thing is just one by one taking everything down from everything that we see as good. It's turned into something that is weird, strange, or even evil. And everything we see as evil is turned into something that is good. This is the games that the shaitan plays in making evil attractive to us. And of course the khutuwat of the shaitan. The step by step access of the shaitan, that's one of the other plots of the shaitan. Many different plots of the shaitan that are there. And so we're asking Allah to protect us from the influences of the shaitan for when he comes and he, ret- he whispers and he retreats, this aspect here. And by the way, have you guys read the khutbah of the shaitan? The khutbah that shaitan will give? Khut- the shaitan will give a khutbah in the day of judgment uh, in Surah Ibrahim. The shaitan, When everything is said and finished, shaitan stands up and he delivers his khutbah. And what is his khutbah? Shaitan says, وعد Certainly Allah has given you a truthful promise. ووعدكم, and I promised you too. And I broke my promise. Now he he rubs it in. So now everyone's there. And who's he speaking to, obviously? All the people he's dragged to hellfire with him. And now he's rubbing it in. And he's saying, Yeah, and I I I gave your promise and I totally betrayed you. Like, you know, you can imagine the level of evil of a person like this, right? Unabashedly just saying straight to your face, Yeah, I promised you, and I broke my promise. Like subhanallah, like if a human did that to another person, you'd think subhanallah, this person is like seriously evil, right? Can you imagine that? Like unabashedly, then rubbing it in. I had no authority over you at all, actually. Like you're trying to blame me, and now you you know you might think that oh, this is because of me, and you might feel better about yourself. No, no, no. Illa an I just gave you an invitation. That's an invitation card. You responded to me. Fasajabatumli. So don't blame me. وَلُومُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ Blame yourselves. Subhanallah. This is the khutbah and it goes on. This is the khutbah of the shaitan that he will give. This is, the, this is what the shaitan wants. This is his end goal. To drag everyone from humanity down to this path. And he does it through multiple means as we come through. And we have to be aware of all these things. The tricks and the plots and the traps of the shaitan. We have to be discerning when it comes to our intentions, when it comes to our actions. Sometimes we're not discerning enough. We're not discerning enough. We'll do things, we'll feel things, and we'll continue with things. And we are literally the plaything of the shaitan, utilizing us to cause division within our family. Why? Because we have this big fight with them, we're suspicious, we start to spread the suspicion around to other people. Or we have different da'wah organizations or organizations or people here, did you hear what this person said about that person? Did you hear what that person said about this person? Did you hear about this sheikh? Did you hear about this sheikh? Who do you think is putting that in your head to say and cause the discord in the community? Don't be a plaything of the shaitan. Be discerning and be strong and have the same amount of ghira for your heart that you would have for your household. In fact, you should have a higher amount of gheera. What is gheera? Gheera is protectiveness. A sense of protectiveness. People are protective of their families, of course. Mothers, very protective of their children. A Men, very protective of their family. Particularly their home itself. As you are so protective of your home, and in your family, and your friends, and whatever it may be, you should be more protective of your heart. That something comes into your heart that you're not happy with, you should give and deliver that shaitan that has come, send him back with a black eye. Because we know this. This actually, some of the narrations they mention this with a grain of salt, and there's not a hadith. But some of the salaf, they used to say that shayateen will come to a person's heart and they're met with isti'adah, with dhikr, and they go back with a black eye, beaten and bruised to their people. And they say, What happened? They say, Oh, that guy. Then you start to develop a reputation amongst the shayateen. Who developed the reputation amongst the shaytan, amongst the companions? Umar, Umar radiallahu anhu. He had a very, very, as they say, staunch reputation. They had a very, very dangerous, dangerous uh, reputation to the shayateen. That if they come to Umar, they know the heart of Umar and what will happen if they try to whisper anything into Umar's heart. We have to be like that. We have to have that level of strength. Because otherwise, if we don't have that level of strength of will and spirit and mind and mental fortitude and also spiritual fortitude... Then we become the plaything of the shaitan. And we start to become agents of chaos and mischief and evil and corruption and fitna in this, uh, in this society. And we might not even know it. When they are said, stop spreading corruption in this world, stop with the fitna, stop going around, they'll say, we're doing the right thing. We're speaking the haq. We're doing whatever it is that needs to be done, unapologetic, whatever it may be. We need to be very careful about this. And we need to be very objective and constantly seek Allah's, ref- seek, uh, Allah's refuge from the shayateen. Now, uh, then after this, jinnati um, nas uh, From the jinn and from the human being. Now, if you notice here, jinn is mentioned only once and in a negative context only. Mankind is mentioned in only one time in a negative context and good in the other four. Contexts, or at least neutral. So, this shows, of course, the favoring of humanity over the jinn, which was the humiliation of the shaitan. And so, this is the interesting point here. The psychology of the shaitan is they have an inferiority complex when it comes to human beings, shayateen, and also jinn in general. They have an inferiority complex. Why? Because they came first and we were the new kids on the block. And that's the case even for human beings. You're established in your work, you're established in your school, or wherever it may be, you're in a certain level then some fresh guy comes out of nowhere and he gets the promotion. Or he goes on top. And you were there for like 20 years and this guy just comes in and he gets swept away and takes straight right to the front. How is that person going to feel? Very satanic, aren't they going to feel? Right? Very upset, very jealous. Everyone's upset when the new kid on the block excels them. The person who purifies the heart is the person who's always looking for the new kid on the block to be better than them. A true mark of a good teacher is a teacher that wants their students to be better than them. There are some teachers you have, they don't want you to be better than them. They want you to stay as students. Why? So they feel good. They want you to stay in your place. They'll undermine you, belittle you, say things, no, you're not ready for this, not qualified, all this stuff, to put you down. They won't try and bring you up. That's a sign of a teacher that does not want good for you. So be careful of that one as well or a person that doesn't want good for you, or a mentor that doesn't want good for you. Genuine mentorship, genuine teaching, is when you want the person that's coming to be better than you, when you want your children to be better than you. And that's an important thing. And sometimes parents, they want the best for their children, but sometimes parents want the children to stay children. And one of the biggest problems we have is the infantilization of our children. Particularly in certain cultural communities as well, this is something that you see is very rampant. Children and adolescents, and young, uh, you know, late teenagers, and even people in the early 20s, they're not allowed to make decisions about their life. They're not allowed to be their own person. They're not allowed to make their own mistakes. They are ruled with this iron fist. And as a result, low confidence, low self-esteem. And these are the people who are very much vulnerable, of course, to the whisperings of the shaitan. Now, coming back to this point, the jinn and the shayateen, they are jealous of human beings and have an inferiority complex of us because we came later and we were honored over them to the point that they were, or at least one of them was commanded to make sajda to Adam, a. So the jinn and shayateen in particular have a very strong inferiority complex to human beings. Now here's the point. Why is Surah Al-Nas such a strong asset against uh, the shayateen? Because this rubs it in to the shayateen. About the lofty status of the human being. How many times Nas is mentioned, right? In such positive ways. Attributed with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Closest with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. قُلْ عُوذُ رَبِّ النَّاسِ مَلِكِ النَّاسِ إِلَهِ الناس, النَّاسِ مِنْ شَرِّ الْأُسْوَاسِ الْخَنَّاسِ By the way, that's not Nas. Khannaas is the word, it, right? It's not actually Nas, that one. أَلَّذِي يُوَسْوَسُ فِي صُدُورِ النَّاسِ مِنَ الْجِنَّةِ Four times. Human beings mentioned in a positive way, three times connected with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, jinn mentioned once and as evil people. So it only further hurts them. And so this is one of the points of Surah An Nas and its connection of protection from the Shayateen. Excellent. Alrighty. And with that, we come to an end of Surah An Nas. We come to an end of Surah An Nas and we come to an end actually, of actually the three Qul Surahs, Alhamdulillah. Um, so we'll end and conclude there uh, and what i'll say about this is this is i really like this series of faith circle because it's very practical and i want us to implement these sunan so we did ayatul kursi we should be saying ayatul kursi at least once or twice in the occasions that they're saying at least if not all of them we should be saying surah ikhlas surah falq, and surah nas in the times at least morning and evening we should at least be doing this and making it a habit of this. We've learned all of this now. We've gained this knowledge. We have a connection with these surahs. We have a connection with each and every word now. I mean, if you count out the hours, we would have spent about an hour and a half times four. What is that? About six, uh, about six hours. We would have spent six hours just on these three surahs. So the amount of connection you have with it now, you have to. You have to continue this and it will something that it will be something that you will continue and carry on with you for the rest of your life. Bin l- keep the Sunnah with you. Hold on to it. Pass it on to your children. Bin l- ta'ala.